be seated. I really look forward to this service. Um, there are less people in this service, but you guys worship louder. You know that? I don't know why that is. You're more rested than the first service, maybe? I don't know. I think sometimes there's more heart in here. I don't know, but it's always a blessing, especially from these guys right over here. They really sing. Had the blessing of uh, preaching to uh, FCA on um, Tuesday night. What a blessing that was. Those guys worship too. We had really sweet worship there. I told them, I said, you know, it's it's amazing thing. I when you travel, you go to other churches, it just makes me appreciate you all more. But I told them, you know, I went to this church and they had amazing, they had the lights and they had everything going. And the, the music style was fine. It's just the only people worshiping were the people on the stage because nobody else can hear anything. I love it that everyone saw Steve just stops and we hear God's people because that's what God wants to hear his people. And I love music, all kinds of music. I'm a child of the 70s, you know, a little rock and roll. But I love it when you can hear God's people worship from their heart. What a blessing that is. This last week, we had uh, the State of the Union from our president, something that our president, whoever he is, gives every year, State of the Union. And I thought that'd be a really good theme as we come after we've had our annual meeting, and this week you'll be getting your financial reports and, and in the breeze if you're a member and you just affirm or not affirm, whether you agree with those numbers, you have any questions, you talk to Don, he knows all the answers, to all the numbers anyway. And I am so thankful that in the United States right now, we have a president, I don't know his heart, but he's making righteous decisions. We've never had a president before that would actually go to a pro-life rally and speak, and a vice president. I'm thankful for that. But you know, even if he gets another four years and he continues to make the decision, the Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Now, it doesn't mean all the elites rejoice. But our hope is still not in politics. Even if we have a Christian president, our hope is in that. All you have to do is go back and look at the Old Testament. God's chosen people with God's anointed king. And the best of the lot was probably David. I mean, Bill Clinton didn't hold a candle to him in sin, right? The reason he's called a man after God's own heart is because of his repentance, not because his path was so straight all the time. And so Israel would would have uh, some obedience, and they get kind of a good king for a while, right out the door again. So much so, by the time God said, okay, that's it. I'm done with you as a kingdom right now. They were having pagan sacrifices on the temple grounds. But our hope is not in politics. Our hope is in the Lord. That one day Jesus is going to sit on the throne and then we're going to have things right. And in the meantime, Paul says in Romans 13, be good citizens, vote. We love our country. Best country in the world. But ultimately it's not our country if we're believers, is it? We have another nation, another country. And we wait for that. A city whose builder and maker is God has no foundations. That's where we're going. Father, as we look at the word today, Lord, I pray that you give us understanding. Lord, lift our heads. Help us to take note of what's around us, our opportunities, and Lord, motivate each one of us to find out our spiritual giftedness, our place in ministry and serve there, that everyone might hear one day from you. Well done, faithful servant. 
You accomplished what I sent you, how I gifted you, what I saved you for. And then we'll give you all the glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're in Revelation chapter 3 today. The Philadelphia Church. The Philadelphia Church. I wanted to go there because that's who we are. Now, each of these churches that are listed in the book of Revelation were actual churches. But I think this church represents the church of the age that ends with the rapture for the church. Now, we have in Romans or Psalm chapter 2, the two world systems, Satan and God. And the warning there to the kings is, Jesus is coming back one day. When he comes, all the power you have, all the nuclear weapons you have, everything you have in technology, he's going to shatter you like earthenware. You won't stand before that king. So bow before his kingdom before it's too late. Because God has already told us how it ends. Jesus wins. We win. And the encouragement of Psalm 2 is get on the right side. Our responsibility is for our time and our place. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Just look at our politics today. I mean, it used to be they got along. I guess we're finding out they got along because they were all getting rich together. And then we got this guy that wants to drain the swamp, and now they're irreconcilable, aren't they? Irreconcilable. You, they can't say anything nice about anybody, these politicians. Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. That's the culture which we live today. That is the culture. It's a dangerous, dark culture, and yet he's put you and I here to be lights, to be found faithful in this culture. Now, the people in Philippi, in, in Philadelphia, I'm sorry, were in the same kind of culture. Surrounded by paganism, there was no fear of God for the most part in their culture, and yet they were found faithful. J. Vernon McGee, the great radio Bible teacher, he being dead yet speaks, says this about the church. This church in Philadelphia has been labeled many things. Some have called it the missionary church. Some, the serving church. Some, a live church. All of these are accurate. Personally, he said, I like to call it the revived church or the Bible-believing church. It is the Bible church. This church that got the word out, and as far as we know, this church lasted longer than any of the other seven churches mentioned here until the 13th century. That's amazing, and is it? A church that lasted 1,200 years. Listen, in America, we have Moody Church in Chicago. There are a lot of churches that are still going, but they're not standing for the word anymore. We have Spurgeon's Church, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Besides that, not many churches last, but this church didn't last 150 or 200 years. Over 1,200 years, this church stood. It said, uh, he said it was destroyed by the Seljuk Turks, when they came in and brutally murdered, murdered all the believers who were left in the church. The only way Satan could get rid of this church 
was kill everybody. Now we know to be absent of the body is to be present of the Lord, but they were a faithful church. It was also a missionary church. It is the belief now that the fact that Christianity penetrated all the way into India as early as it did was because this church sent out missionaries. The Philadelphia church. There's only two churches in these seven churches in the book of Revelation that are commended and not condemned for something. And that is the church of Smyrna, the suffering church, and the church of Philadelphia. Beginning in verse 7. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, the angel is the pastor. So Jesus gives the message to the pastor. Write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David. That's Jesus. He's the only holy one. He's set apart. He's the only begotten one. He's the Messiah. He's holy and he's true. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one option, and that's Jesus Christ. And it says he has the keys of David. That means he has the authority. He's the one that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. A couple of weeks ago, Jeremy Smith preached a good message from John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. That's a theme for this body here. Did you know that? That whole idea that Jesus worked where the Father was working. He prayed, he stayed in communication with the Father. And whatever the Father was doing, that's what the Son did. That's what we do. That's why you hear from this pulpit a lot. Listen, we don't have to think big ideas up for God. There are a lot of people who say, we got to be a visionary for God. you got to get a big, huge, audacious goal, something big enough for your God, and then he can do that. That is ridiculous. We're not on our own. He's the one that has the authority. He's the one that's leading. He's the one that's doing things. He's the one that's working. So our challenge is just try to keep up. That's been a challenge. Now, that takes faith. You see God open a door, and you say, oh, but... But, you know, I don't know if we have the funds. I don't know if we have the strength. I don't know if we have the people. But you know it's God's door open. Sometimes that happens when you're witnessing, isn't it? And you see it. There's that door. And you go, I should say something, but I might lose them as a friend. I might lose my job. But you know it's a door. That's where it takes faith. And then you trust God, and you walk through the door, and you minister. Jesus holds the key. He's the authority. He's the captain He's the one leading this ship. He's the one that built the church. He said, I will build my church. You don't have to figure out how to do that. How do you build the church? Preach the whole counsel of God. Preach the gospel. Last week we looked. Paul said, I don't adulterate the word of God. I don't take some of it out. I don't try to make it taste better. I just preach it clearly and simply as possible. Then it's the power of God. Not the power of God as I adjust it. Then it's not the gospel anymore. Jesus says to this church, I know your deeds. See, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Right? We're saved by grace, no works. The next verse says, and you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we're not saved by our good works, but we are definitely saved for good works. And Jesus said, you can't tell what a tree is 
You can't look at somebody and tell whether they're saved or lost, but you can look at their fruit and see what it's producing. And Jesus looks at the church of Philadelphia. He says, I see your works. I see what you're doing there. He says, I have put before you an open door, which no man can shut, because you have a little power, and you've kept my word, and have not denied my name. I've set before you an open door. Probably shared with you before the, the story of when I uh, took a job at Cathedral Home for Children, and I was the chaplain out there, and I uh, was there for quite a few years, see a number of young people make decisions for Christ. And then one day they called me into the office. And they said, now, we understand that you believe something that we don't believe. And I had preached at FCA at high school and uh, had just quoted a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that lists all these sins out that the people at Corinth had been guilty of. And then Paul said, but now you're washed, now you're clean. In other words, the gospel makes a difference. We don't tell people to clean up and then we'll give them the gospel. The gospel makes that change. Gives them new life. Makes a change. Well, somebody in the, and I don't really care who it was, somebody that was listening at FCA went home and said, hey, does that mean so-and-so our relative is lost? Because they have this lifestyle. That's what we call sin now, lifestyle. And uh, she said, who told you that? Well, Pastor Martin was preaching at FCA. I'll have his hide. So they called my boss at Cathedral Home, and they called me in there, and they were very sweet, very nice. Now, now Paul, you know, um, they wanted to educate me. Be nice. Now, now you know, um, the Episcopal Church, who's in charge of Cathedral Home, they don't believe that anymore. Hmm, interesting. Well, let me just read what the Bible says. So I read it to her. He said, huh. We just can't have somebody here that believes what that says. I said, cool. I said, I told you when I came in that God opens doors and he shuts doors. And if he's shutting the door, I'm not going to be the one to try to keep it open. That's his thing. So if he's shutting the door, I'm out the door, right? Our job isn't trying to keep the door open. I think what's happened in American Christianity is we've got a lot of people think it's their job to try to keep the door open. How do they do that? By changing the message, unhooking from the Old Testament, unhooking from creation, unhooking from a worldwide flood, unhooked from some of the miracles that they can't explain. Well, because it's so uncomfortable to try to explain to people that don't believe. Why do you care what dead blind people think? See? But, well, see, we've got to keep the door open so they can get saved. That's not your job. Your job is just to preach the word of God, the whole council. The church of Philadelphia was called faithful because Jesus said what? You kept my word. All of it. Paul told the church at Ephesus when he was leaving to go to Jerusalem, he's going to end up in chains. He said, listen, from among yourselves, wolves are going to rise up. So you preach the whole council of God just like I did for you. Keep preaching all of it. Be faithful to all of it. And then he says this, right? You have a little power. Now he isn't saying, you know, you guys are just little power people. You don't have much power. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, like when Andrew drives one of his hot rods and he pulls up and it's got those glass packs on it. Whoa, got a little power there. A little power in that thing. That's what he's saying. He's recognizing the strength that this little church has. 
Now, the world looks at this church, they don't think much of it. The world looks at this church, LVC, and they don't think much of it. In fact, I'm sure a lot of other churches look at this church, they don't think much of it. But God says, hey, you have some power. You have some power. Why? It's the word of God. God's work done God's way will never lack for God's supply. And God recognized the power. He said, because you have a little power, you got a little power. I've set before you an open door. I want to tell you, folks, this church right here, this Philadelphia church in Laramie, God has set before us an open door. We've seen God do things that we are not worthy of, we didn't have the strength for. I had a, last night I was thinking about the great opportunity of ministry that you have had in this church. Now, when we came here, my home was the only engine running. It really was. About the only engine running. And that engine worked long and hard. Once those college kids started getting saved, we had little kids that had to go to school the next day, and they were there till 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, getting discipled, and I was loving it, and Christy was getting tired. But you know what? Our kids grew up in ministry. Today, I don't even know how many engines we have in this church. I know every one of our elders and our deacons, their homes are centers of ministry. And there's a powerful engine running. Not just guys who are on staff or on the elder board, but so many of you. You understand, and that's why this church has power. Because you understand your life is not about what you accomplish, your 401k, or how much you end up with the bank. Your life is about what counts for Jesus Christ. That's what makes this church different. That's what makes the church of Philadelphia unique. So every once in a while, I just take the time. Just thinking, and the list is not complete. And I'm sure I'm going to leave somebody out. But I want to share with you so you remember these names, some of you won't even know. But names that have gone from here and names of people that are here, that have been discipled here, that are ministering here. John and Kathy Dierenfeld. John's one of the first guys that came to Christ in my ministry back in 1984. He went off to seminary. He's, he's an interim pastor. He ministers a lot of places around the state. He lives in Casper. Jeff and Sarah Hurden. Jeff's a U.S. Army chaplain. They've been all over the United States, all over the world, serving the Lord. Rex and Sarah Russell down in Virginia Dale, Colorado. John Lisa Hutchison, Paoli, Indiana. Andy and Megan Huber, pastoring in Kansas. Jason and Kaylin Snyder, Prestonwood Baptist, Dallas. James and Damaris Fryer, he was a chaplain in the Army. Now he has a chaplain ministry down in Florida. Jimmy and Andy Carter, Colonial Baptist, Cary, North Carolina. Justin and Kayla Hollibaugh, they're laboring alongside Jimmy and Andy there in Cary. Jeff and Sheila Brown, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Brian and Betsy Johnson, Thermopolis, Wyoming, Risen Sun Baptist Church. Andy and Kaylin Barlow, Fellowship Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Mike and Valerie Gorski in Madison, Wisconsin. Josh and Candace Rose, Wachosi, Mexico in the Copper Canyon, ministering among the Tatamahara Indians. Keith and Beth Browneyes, North Point Church, Fort Collins. Andy Bastion in South Carolina. David and Georgia Grafe, Luke and Megan Finley, Carlos and Sidney Herrera, all in Phoenix. Ed and Karen Aldridge, 
ministering in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Matt and Lisa Miller, Tampa, Florida. Sunil and Anu John, Dax, Dallas, Texas. Carl and Valerie Picard, First Baptist Church in Cheyenne. Drew and Carly Hayes, First Baptist Church in Cheyenne. Sean and Tara Meyer, Anchorage, Alaska. Jason and Robin Schmidt, Valley Bible Church, Scottsbluff, Nebraska. Right here in our congregation, one of our elders, Aaron and Stacy Frude, FCA, University of Wyoming. Terry and Katie Diltz, another one of our pastors. Sean and Debbie Innist, Doug and Tuesday Wookie. Brian and Stephanie Fortman, our youth pastor. Kyle and Bailey Coster, our college pastor. Steve and Janet German, our worship leader. All of these, and that's not the end. Sam and Aaron Martin, Brian, Emily, Sanzoni, Jeff and Molly Schaefer, Mal- Matthew and Kristen Carlston, Mark Carlston, Mike Shirley, Adam and Ashley Teeter, all there or preparing for ministry at Red Mesa Fellowship in St. George. Jason and Gretchen Nelson, Edinburgh, Scotland. David and Kristen Martin, Cologne, Germany. Stephen and Beth Campbell, Bonn, Germany. Don and Vonda Barnes, administration, Laramie Valley Chapel. Does that blow your mind a little bit? This church has produced people that have gone all over the world. That just blows my mind a little bit. And we're not done yet. Now we have Clayton and Molly that have have brought this ministry of the West Institute, and and we're just going to see that multiplied more and more and more. And we as elders are having to change the way we look at support and ministry because we're gearing up because this church is not done yet. Now, Lord willing, we hope in the next few weeks to bring you a plan for another building. Because I will tell you right now, you know, we're, we're to the place that, you know, we got the buildings getting three-fourths of the way paid off. We owe less than 500000 We started over $2.5 million 10 years ago. And that was just college kids that did that. And now we're stronger. But this is the place we can come to as a church and say, well, you know, why don't we just take it easy a little bit? You know, we, we can afford the staff we have, so let's just back off a little bit. And this is where people can start saying, well, we don't want to preach that. Because that might get us in trouble. And if things change too much more in our government, just preaching the whole counsel of God will get us in trouble, and we could lose everything. So why do we want to risk that? Because our audience is not the world. Our audience is Jesus Christ, the faithful one. The one that has the authority to open doors and shut doors. He's the one that's looking at us. Because we count these and we say, what an amazing thing. But there's so much more than these. There's so much more going on. This morning, Pastor Howe told me that his his, uh, oldest grandson was having a struggle in school. So the counselor called him in. So his son and and daughter-in-law went in and talked to the counselor. And the counselor at this public high school had seen... Lynn's kids proudly wearing the cowboy colors. And she said, I want you to know that I'm a cowboy fan too. I grew up in Laramie, Wyoming. And they said, really? Our dad's down in Laramie, Wyoming. She said, really? Where does he go to the church? Laramie Valley Chapel. We said, you know, Pastor Martin, he helped start the LVC or or the, the FCA at our high school. And I was in FCA in our high school and at the college. I didn't know that. See, that's a good thing. God's the one keeping track. 
He didn't ask us to keep track. Paul said, we're not the ones that judge. It doesn't matter if somebody doesn't like what we do. We don't even judge ourselves. There's one that judge. He's the one that's keeping score. And what he calls us to is faithfulness. He takes care of the results. Now, the results are a blessing to us because we want to be growing. But here's the thing. We can say, you know, now that we're older and we have more sense, more sense than those college kids that stepped out to build this building, let's just save God some money. Because, you know, I've heard that if you build buildings, that can split churches. Well, that's true. It has split churches. It certainly reveals where they're at. But you know what we experienced with all those college kids when we built this? Discipleship, fellowship, growth. And so in the next couple of weeks, the Lord willing, as the elders bring you that plan, it's going to be bigger. It's going to be a challenge. And we want you to pray how God would have you get involved in giving, but also in work. Because what we learned by building this building was when we get in here together, you have a part of it. You get your hands down in that concrete. And when you get done, and, you, and, you, and it's all basically, I helped. That's an important thing. I sanded over there. I painted that. It's important to be a part of it. What God is doing. We have the skilled people to do the skilled stuff. But I want to tell you also, we're not really, you know, we don't want to spend more money than we have to. But we're not trying to really save God money. Because God's not poor. And sending people to the mission field is not cheap. And planning other churches is not cheap. And we don't have the power to do that. But if we're willing to be faithful, God has the power. You're going to notice something that he says to this church in Philadelphia. Verse 9, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, I'll make them come down and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. What is he saying there? You know the biggest opposition that Christians have is religion. It's not the secular world. It's other religion. It can be other people that claim to be believers, but they're not. They're really the synagogue of Satan. But you know what happens to the faithful church? Some of those people, the synagogue of Satan, they get saved too. Isn't that a blessing? Not just they come down, oh, I see you guys are right. But no, no, no. They get saved. The great testimony in Acts was after Pentecost happened and after more persecution of the church and Stephen died, then a lot of the priests came to Christ. See, it's about faithfulness. It's not about how we can keep the door open. It's not how we can slick this message up better. It's just faithfulness. Because as we talked about last week, what we have in the gospel is very, very powerful. God can use it if he has a faithful people. Then he says, I'm coming quickly. That doesn't mean he's coming soon. That means he's going to come suddenly. Jesus said, it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that when he comes, it's going to be like that. Now, the amazing part about the hope that we have in Christ is if you live to the rapture, we can be sitting in church like this, and all of a sudden, we're in heaven like this. We're in the clouds with Jesus. You're driving down the road, all of a sudden, you're like this, and you're going, whoa. Now, here's the blessing. Death is no different. 
than rapture for the believer. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And the Bible says, we're not going to prevent those that are asleep. Those have already died. They're going to rise from the grave first. Why? They got six feet further to go. That's what the old preachers used to say. They got a little further to go, so they're coming up first. But you're not going to notice because it's going to happen in the atom of time. That's our hope. He gives us hope to this church. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. This morning, Red Mesa Fellowship is ministering in a church that's dying. They asked them to come over and, and preach and do the worship and everything. And first they said, wouldn't it be nice if we could put our churches together? And said, Sam said, yeah, that's great. They have octogenarians and Sam doesn't, you know. They're all young people. And first they were excited about it. Then they said, oh, you know, hmm, we don't want to lose our building. Sam said he was a scourge for about two minutes. And he said, hold it, God's in charge of this thing. We're going to trust the Lord. But what happens is churches get down in a rut. And they just want to protect what they have. And they don't want to take any more risks. That's when you die. We don't want to die. We're praying for this year a greater harvest. Because just because we build a building, bigger building, now we'll have a bigger building. We have to continue to witness and stand for the truth and share the love of Christ with people. And we think it's necessary because we believe by faith that's what we're going to continue to do to see a greater harvest. We see God working in our college ministry and our high school ministry. We see families coming in and joining with us. Some families, you heard testimonies last week at a banquet, moved here for this church. They moved here because they wanted to be a part of this church. I used to hear testimonies about that when listening to John MacArthur, and I am certainly no John MacArthur. So what is it? It's you, flock. It's you, church. You have power. And God has set before us an open door. And then it changes. It's going from the blessing of the church to individuals. Why? Because that's who makes up the church. The church isn't a building. People get saved because we've got nice, you know, supports for the roof. Get saved because people share the gospel. And you know that you invite people here, they're going to hear the gospel. He says, he overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. Why was that encouraging? He was telling these people, see, Philadelphia was, the city itself was built where there's a lot of volcanic activity and there's a lot of earthquakes. And such bad earthquakes as some people thought it was foolish to even live in town. So they go into town, do business, and then leave town so they wouldn't get in trouble with the earthquakes. And he's telling them, listen, you don't have to do that anymore. And what were pillars for? Pillars for strength, but they also showed beauty. And he said, I'm going to make you a pillar in my house. Not only that, he said, I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. We're getting tattoos. And not only is he going to put his name on you and the name of the new Jerusalem on you, what does it say then? And my new name. You have a new name. The old gospel song says, I have a new name written down in glory. And it's mine? Oh yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story, a sinner has come home. 
a new name written down the glory, and no man knows it but God, and he'll tell you what blessings wait for us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you know the Lord today? Do you have that hope? Don't let somebody else take your crown. Find out what it is that you're saved for. Why did God save you? What is the giftedness he gave you? Find that place of ministry because that's the place of joy in this life and fulfillment. And that's the place of reward that one day, Jesus might not just say, you are a faithful church. But he might say to you, well done, faithful servant. Father, we thank you for your love for us. That you've given us hope in your word. And even though we see in a mirror dimly the things that you prepared for us, Lord, we know because you, we belong to you that one day we will see you face to face. So, Lord, stir us up to faithfulness in our time and our place, despite the bark, darkness, dis, despite the opposition, that we might hold forth the candle of your love, of your truth in this dark world. And, Lord, that you might give this church an ever-increasing harvest, Lord. Lord, that each one in this church might know what it's like to see their loved ones come to know Christ because of their witness. That great joy. And then we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.